Hello and welcome to the Odd Job Pod. I am Gary Andrews and welcome to our lair, dear reader. Inflate your airship, get your granddad's ashes ready for a fight as we come out swinging for a film that is, well, perhaps not the most loved in the Bond franchise. Yes, Mm. in the next of our Roger Moore podcasts, we are on to A View to a Kill. Does it bear closer inspection or are we sacrificing ourselves for the sake of our mission? Joining me as ever is Terry DeFellin and Graham Sibley. Hello, gentlemen. How are we both? Very good. Thank you, Gary. Very good. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Gary. Uh, my ladder is firmly locked, so uh, <laughs> there'll be no mishaps or shenanigans that during is good. this podcast. There is nothing worse than an unlocked ladder, isn't there? <laughs> there is nothing worse, nothing more calamitous than an unlocked ladder. Uh, I'm sure we're all big food. <laughs> right. Well, as I say, we've all got... Um, <laughs> we're all ready to play a game of you deflated my airship and uh, yeah I mean I'm actually kind of in a way I'm quite sad because we are um, coming to the end of um, all the movies of, of the Moore era um, and we kind of just started it a little bit on a whim I think when I caught Man with the Golden Gun on TV because we've, we've done the commentary of, of Live and Let Die um, before and we all talk about how much we love that but we've not really gone into the, the Moore films too much so now getting to the end of this um and I'm sure we're going to get to this. I've been fascinated as to how I've reassessed my opinion of the more Bonds, actually kind of sitting down and watching them, watching them one after another, and and all the thoughts and feelings that came in um, to it. But with A View to a Kill, now, as is customary, I'll do a bit of research and, you know, see what other people felt about it. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite sad to actually see just how much dislike there was for um this film even from sort of people who, who are hardcore bond fans or, or seem to be sort of in bond community um graham i'm guessing you're not one of those people who um is not a fan of a view to a kill uh no i am a fan of a view to a kill i i recognize that it's perhaps not the strongest of, of films in in the franchise uh it probably hit me at the right time. Uh, I would have been about 16 when it came out. So seeing it in the cinema on my own this time, to, or, or like with, with my friends rather than being taken along with the family. Uh, and also, I think this is the first James Bond film I owned on sell-through video. So I think this was this would have been the first one that I would have had the official one rather than just something taped off the telly or pirated from by Terry by more than likely. <laughs> <laughs> what is being suggested here? <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault that I was the only one in the group to have two VHS players. Or no, actually one VHS and one V2000. Yeah, it was a complicated system. <laughs> oh God, it was just the worst. I had a VHS and I had a V2000 and then I had to, oh no, it wasn't, Oh, anyway, this is an old. No, the listeners don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear this. <laughs> what, what, what kids in the eighties did to watch TV, to watch movies, it's it's beyond tedious. But, it, but it's 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 a much more streamlined process than it is today. I mean, I, I too, I saw. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Graham and I are almost the same age. I was sixteen. Uh, I had actually. Uh, this was the, like Graham. It was the first uh, film I saw on my own without my parents uh, or without a family member taking me. So very much a big deal. I get you kind of like a bit of a coming out, coming of age experience. I was actually on work experience during this time and had to wait for a couple of weeks before I got the opportunity to go into London 
to see it before it went on general release. And I went and I knocked off at 12 o'clock on my last day of my work experience from Kilburn and then went into Leicester Square and watched it in a cinema in Leicester Square on my own and was completely blown away by this movie. Now, obviously, it gets reassessed as you get older. Um, but, you know, you're, you, you, you never lose those emotions and that sentiment for this movie. So even if it was a complete pile of crap, I would love it. But it isn't a, it isn't a complete pile of crap. It has its flaws, which we can discuss. Um, but it is not. But it, it is a worthy entry into Roger's canon. I've, I too have got very sentimental memories of this. This was one of the first Bonds that I remember seeing on TV. I think it was probably my first Roger Moore film. And you know, again, you were kind. You know, I'm at a kind of an impressionable age when when I saw it, and I remember just being blown away as well. And you know, this would have probably been towards the end of the '80s when I would have seen it on TV, and you know, just that that kind of moment of holy crap, there's an airship and there's lots of guns and there's Christopher Walken being insane. And I haven't picked up on a lot of the flaws either, which obviously you now do the more that you sit and watch it. Um, and, and Terry, I guess one of the flaws, which is is fair and it is a fair charge to be aimed at this film, is Roger's age, unfortunately, of, of a man who is um, clearly getting on a little bit um, and potentially stretching the credibility. That said, I still watched this film, you know, a few days ago, and I didn't find it as big an issue as I thought it might do. But clearly for some, just a, a 57-year-old James Bond was just a little bit too much. Yeah, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that objectively, yes, uh, this, this should have, Octopussy should have been Roger's last James Bond film. This was a bridge too far, sadly. Uh, albeit the Golden Gate Bridge, so you know, not a bad bridge to go too far on. Um, but yeah, I agree. And the, the age gap between Tanya Roberts and Roger Moore was was is was is very visible and and makes you does has made you feel uncomfortable in the past. And it just simply, I mean, not just Tanya Roberts as well, but you know, it just any situation like that is all a little bit much. But, uh, I mean, it's still Roger Moore, and there still has the assuredness and the, and the confidence um, of, of, the, of, of his role as James Bond. Um, and, I mean, he, and the, the scenes that he has, the chemistry he has with Walken and also with Patrick McNee, you know, are still really memorable and still really, still really enjoyable. But you do probably have to place a filter uh, when it comes to, to, to Roger's age. But uh, I have chosen to not let that bother me. Um, and I guess it's for others to, to choose whether or not to, it, uh, to what extent it bothers them. Graham, you've got um, Roger, who is, is kind of getting on a bit. And a lot of people probably felt this this was a film, as Terry said, that probably was was one step a little bit beyond. But um, there is still a lot to like about it. And, and Moore's performance and Terry's picked up on this as well. Probably one of my favorite bits in the entire movie is just the interplaying chemistry between Roger Moore and another one of those, those kind of, um, you know, famous screen legends of Patrick Mooney. Uh, and that was, that was just a lovely, enjoyable bit. I could watch the, the scenes between Bond and Tibbet over and over again. Yeah, I mean, having Moore and McNee on the, on the screen at the time, at the same time, is, is brilliant. Um, but obviously, Mc uh, Patrick McNee also is 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 quite old in this. This is a good twenty years after his pomp at the in in the Avengers. It's ten years after the new Avengers, 
and even in the new Avengers when he was in there, they, they, they brought in a younger guy just because they, they wanted to have a bit more of the youthful feel to it. Um, but you've got, yeah, I mean, the age thing does is highlighted, and I, I think even though they've got older characters in there as well, you've got your M, you've got Q, you've got Freddie Gray in there as well. Those early scenes when you see them all, all these old men in the room together, and it's just like, well, this, these, these, this is a film about old men, isn't it? Um, and you can't really escape it. And I suppose, really, as I enter my fifties myself, I, I'm I'm probably quite 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 more accepting of it now. Really, I thought, yes, of course, that that very attractive thirty year old woman is going to find him very like, irresistible. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got to be honest. I've got to be honest and I, I think that because that crossed my mind as well and I thought am I accepting of this situation between Bond and, and, and uh, between Roger Moore and Tanya Roberts because I'm of the age now where I think that I am attractive to 30 year old women <laughs> Is it just... <laughs> but uh, I mean let's, let's, let's not delve too deeply into all of that but I wonder if there's an element of that going on yeah, I, th- I think we've, we've, we've addressed the age thing now, Gary. I think it's time to move on to other things. Time to move on. <laughs> I'm saying nothing other than um, I, I did like the fact that Moore himself said that it, it was time to um, hang up when Tanya Roberts introduced him to his mum. Sorry, to, to her mum on um, on set, and he realised he was actually older than her mum, which at that point he just went, yeah, may, maybe this is the point where I should probably hang up. And I guess that's <clears throat> to a certain extent, and we will kind of move slowly beyond the age thing, but but that is probably one of the problems of, of the film, Graham, is the chemistry there. Um, the chemistry is obviously there with, with Patrick McNee because these, you know, these are two veteran actors who just bounce off each other particularly well. But you can see that there's a little bit more of an issue of, of kind of chemistry, certainly between um, Roger Moore and Tanya Roberts. Um, and also, uh, and fantastic as she is, um, Grace Jones is, is in a very, I think in her head, is in a very different movie to the movie that Roger Moore is in. <laughs> I, no, I, let's face it. I mean, like, like she comes in and says, "Right, you're the henchman," and she just basically just owns it, doesn't she? Is she? She's she's one of the most memorable henchmen in the in in the franchise, and and she does an amazing job in it. Everything about this this film is 1985, and the fact that they got Grace Jones in it is just it it, it is just well, you know, you've you've just made the most mid 80s casting decision there and and well played you you you've, you've done it spot on uh i think now you'd look at it um uh, this is probably the only thing in there that that you would probably look with 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 modern eyes and, and think oh yeah okay she's not she's not really playing that in in a way that you'd expect nowadays um but back in the time this was this was like being this was woke this was this this uh this casting choice and the role that she played there she was an assassin empowered she was she was Zorin's right hand man nowadays with with all the sort of like animalistic stuff they would you you'd be thinking well okay all right you've got a black actress in here and you're expecting her to act in a bestial way uh and 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 I don't think that would sit well with 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 modern viewers but the thing is Grace Jones owned that that sort of persona, and she brings out her own look, her own fashion, uh, her, her own 
energy to the screen. And she really, really does make it work, doesn't she, Terry? I, I think that, that anyone else, and actually that, that could have been a really, really dick move. Uh, I, 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 but actually, Grace Jones just, it is such an icon and was an icon at the time um, that she, as you say, she was completely able to, to, to take possession of that. And, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to ask people better place to understand these things. But I mean, one of the, uh, of all the criticisms that I have encountered of this movie, the portrayal of of Grace Jones's character, that her you know, her role within the movie, uh, I, I've, n- I've not. If anything, she's a she's a symbol of 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 black feminism um, than anything else, uh, and 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 one that is a, and a celebrated character. I may have that wrong. I may have misread that, but that's my impression of it. And I think it's one of the reasons why the movie still stands up so well. I mean, Graham is right. It is a, a, a typical mid '80s movie, and and it is it's it's bold uh, but and smart casting um, by broccoli and the rest to, to 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 bring them in. And it's and it, but it does at the same time feel like you're watching two movies. On the one hand, that there are times in the moments with 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 with, with uh, Grace Jones and Christopher Walken that you feel as though you're actually walk, watching some more sort of like you know, avant-garde kind of like 80s sort of um, art movie. And then the next thing, you know, the next scene is you're in a traditional, very traditional James Bond film. Um, and maybe there's that element, there's just that slight clash there. But there's, I mean, there's the the symbols, the imagery that, that Grace Jones in particular conjures up in this movie makes this film actually for me a classic and we're going through a big 80s revival at the moment aren't we we've been going through a big 80s revival ever since stranger things came along uh, you know people have are, are, are far more aware and of, of of 80s culture there's some lunatic that we know who's been doing a podcast about nothing but <laughs> 80s films for a few years now and it's significantly more popular than this one um, there's, there's 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 and i think actually that's why that a view to warrants revisiting but I do think you have to forgive it its flaws, though, because it's not a perfect mm. piece of film. And it's uh, I <clears throat> I love watching Grace Jones in this. She's just she's one of one of the few characters who she just her presence conveys everything. She doesn't need to say a thing, and you know exactly where she's at. Um, and again, I was reading a lot about Grace Jones um, in the run up to this, and in her autobiography and, and other interviews that she'd given about her um, time on A View to a Kill, and apparently Roger Moore found her quite difficult to work with, but she actually seemed to quite enjoy working with him. And I think that's partly because she just insisted on being cold to him all the time because she wanted to, to stay in character. Um, and there was also a great anecdote as well, though, which I think kind of shows the difference between them, which is the, the scene that they were shooting where um, Roger Moore um, beds Mayday um, Apparently midway through the scene, uh, Grace Jones just pops up from the duvet brandishing a giant rubber dildo and just was in hysterics <laughs> for 10 minutes. And Roger Moore was far from impressed. <laughs> but, uh, also, the other thing, um, Terry, when you look at the casting, and this is one thing that I found really fascinating because I, I wasn't aware of, that the role of Zorin was actually originally offered to Bowie. Yes. And 
I mean, when you talk about an avant-garde film, I mean, the only thing you could have probably then done to make it a little bit more then would have been to get Nick Rogue to, to direct, which would have been quite a film. I'm quite sure if you had Bowie and Grace Jones in a Bond movie directed by Nicholas Rogue, that, that would have been fascinating. But um, yeah, Bowie and then I think Steen was also offered it as well. Um, a, a kind of fascinating dynamic that they were, they were going for. As it is, they, they got Christopher Walken, who is um, quite bonkers, but brilliantly scenery chewing so throughout. But yeah, I mean, we, we could have been looking at a very different film again with uh, with somebody like Bowie in that role. I mean, obviously, I think we we were agreed that probably we did agree that that he was better off actually out of that and, and and did Labyrinth instead, which is a stonking film and very much his his movie. Um, I've never really had a strong opinion about Bowie's uh, acting ability, and I don't know whether or not he would have owned the screen time to the extent that Christopher Walken did. Um, uh, so, I'm, I'm, and I and again largely due to sentiment but also down to the the raw uh, abilities of christopher walken's acting skills you know i mean i, I can't see anybody else in that role uh, it's sting again i mean he, he was in quadrophenia and he went on to get and, and some other stuff he was rolled in quadrophenia which was what six years earlier was brief but equally but very iconic as well very very memorable and he was a kind of a it guy. I think that, you know, there was a lot of, because he had so many fans, he would have brought an awful lot to the box office of just Sting fans who would have wanted to have of that and, 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 and shifted the, the traditional demographic of a, of a James Bond audience, uh, younger and more female, I would, I would suggest. Um, but I still feel that they made the right call in, 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 in casting an experienced cinema screen actor. Uh, in Chris Walken, and uh, I mean, I I said at the time, uh, in my in my sort of like mid-teens further, um, that Christopher that Max Zorin was the best James Bond villain um, up to that point. That, that there were that all others were, but this again was 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 just you know the, how you felt at the time, and obviously as listeners to our World Cup of Bond villains uh, know that. That, that view has changed somewhat but I still rate him chaps remind me where did he finish do you remember where he finished right. in the World Cup of Bond I, I can't remember off the top of my head I could, uh, could probably dig it out but uh, yeah we should we should keep a note of these sort of things shouldn't we we should do <laughs> I haven't think he, he would have got through the group stage Easily. Depends what the draw day. was, Gary. Depends what the draw was. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Another day, another another place. But I mean, Graham, he might not be um in our eyes the best upon villain of all time, but he's pretty bloody good, isn't he? Zorin is just like um <clears throat> I think yeah, Zorin is basically Goldfinger on Coke. Yeah, yeah. Yes. well, this is it. He's a co- he, he is a coke fueled uh, villain. Uh, very again, very nineteen eighty five. And as Terry says, he's he's in there with the Scarface model. There, uh, yeah. There is nothing. Uh, you're not you're not being asked to 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 read too much into his, his character. You get ex- all explained to you what he is. He's a the result of Nazi genetics, uh, and. Yeah, he he is a, an all-round bad guy. He's been made to be a bad guy. You get such depth from Walken in this. I mean, yes, he does, he is scenery chewing, but you know, he 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 can see the people around him. He can see Roger and he's and he reacts with that. And uh, and he just works so well with it. The scene when he's in his office 
and he's finding out all about James Bond is just iconic. It is one of yeah. my favourite scenes in in all of Bond. It is it is just so so good, and he he is brilliant. The facial, I mean, he, there you could say, oh, look, he's hamming it up and gurning, but it's just perfect on these really really rubbish, you know, uh, Spectrum Forty Eight uh, <laughs> graphics going on here, and it is just perfect. I, I love that scene. I really do. It is a glorious, it is a glorious scene. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he's such a monstrous character, um, and but I mean, he the the, the element of 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 sort of popular conceptions of 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 of, of being a psychopath and psychosis. Obviously, psychosis is you know a, a, a very nuanced uh, illness, and you know you know there are different types of psychopaths, but the kind of killer psychopath sort of like made popular. Know, by Hitchcock and then you know into sort of like the 70s and 80s with your slasher movies and stuff like that you know and and he and he tap it, it ta- character taps into all of that you know all, all all of those perspectives and he does it really well and yeah I mean he Chris Walken knows he's in a Bond film playing the lead Bond villain so he knows you know everyone has seen at least one James Bond film you know he's going to know what's expected of him and he does it and he does it perfectly and he and it does it's a beautiful timestamp. I mean, it, it tells us about a, a lot about how movies were, you know, back in and how popular culture was to a degree back in that time. And we've said this quite a few times. Bond doesn't Im- innovate, but it does capture the moment of of when it was made quite beautifully. Sometimes, and A View to Kill is a is a great example of that. I mean, the 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 the, the office scene that Graham refers to is is just so good. I watched that over and over again. But also the office in, in the, the scene in Howe's office, yes, where he improvises. Intuitive improvisation is the secret of genius, and that whole scene is just where he's just so cold and so murderous, you know. And he just and and, and I mean, I think that that works. Well, I mean, at the time, I remember thinking that Roger was being acted off the screen by Walken, but actually, I've since rethought about that, and actually, those scenes between Moore and and Walken, I think, work really well because Moore is very very a, a lot more understated as an actor as we know um, and actually watching it again through newer eyes you just think well actually the, the, these scenes work well the the scene outside of the uh, after Tibbet is killed sorry um you know again that confrontation there the kind of you when when you know bond is exposed you know that that scene works really well and the chemistry between Walken and Roger Moore, I think, you know, is is a real highlight of this movie and why it's a movie that I think needs to be revisited by people who perhaps have low opinions of it. Well, Graham, I was watching this film and, uh, you know, you, you, it's not a film that you necessarily think of paying too much attention to. And obviously, knowing that I'm doing the podcast, I, I, I think a lot more about it. I came out of this with the opinion that it's a highly enjoyable film that had the potential to be something brilliant. And I found myself wishing that if only it could have been made around the same time as Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker and potentially having Chris Wood involved in the script. Oh, you, We could okay. be talking about one of the best Bond films ever made here. Yeah, it, it it is lovely to 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 take films into different eras, but of course, as Terry said, they are a reflection of the times, and so you would have got it. It wouldn't have been the same. So I, I think that w- one of the lovely things about this film is the fact that it is part of the <coughs> in in the mid eighties, and it's in 
and even the 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 real the background uh, story of of it being about you know, microchips is something about the progression of society going on into into the computer age and 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 something that that, that bond being like all about the gadgets is meant to be be able to keep up with and so so that that i i think i i know what you mean by the fact that if this had I think what you really mean is is if this had had a stronger script to it, if 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 Walken had had some real memorable lines, if, uh, well, that well, one, no, Mister Bond, I expect you to die. If he'd had a killer mm. line like that, he would. If this film would be remembered much differently, I think, and I think that's it's another thing about these 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 Malbaum, uh, uh Wilson films is that that there is a lack of those sort of signature lines and that and. And I think a lot of the lines that, that that they do come out with like that sometimes fall flat. Like the the this is this will hurt him more than it'll hurt me, or and it just, or, or even the oh what a view to a kill. And it's it's, oh. a, it's like these things are yeah. Basically, as soon as they get on the airship, like like the whole dialogue goes out the window, doesn't it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's 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 really. I mean, some of Roger's one-liners are just atrocious as well, and just don't work. And they're also delivered without conviction as well, to yeah. be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, it is a really, I mean, the dialogue in this movie, unfortunately, does does really badly let it down, I'm afraid to say. And, and when you mentioned uh, that uh, on, in our WhatsApp group, uh, because you know, we have a WhatsApp group, um, you, you know, Gary, you mentioned how it would have been if Christopher, would, I mean, even if Christopher Wood had written this screenplay in the mid 80s, I think it would have been it would, it would have had it would have probably have delivered us those killer lines that would have made that would have stuck with the movie and lifted the movie a little bit more. And really, I mean, Christopher Wood's um, characterization in Spy Who Loved Me and in Moonraker is just so much better than in A View to a Kill. And indeed, in frankly, uh, um, a lot of the other uh, uh, Roger Moore films is that Christopher Wood, I think, had a handle on the characters a lot better. Than you know, than dare I say, Richard Maybaum and Michael G. Wilson. I mean, these guys go. You know, Richard Maybaum goes all the way back to Doctor No. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, it, it's the, these guys should have a handle on it. But I just, I suspect the truth is that Chris Wood was an extremely talented writer, probably uh, underrated. Um, and I think it's another reason why we we must you know elevate the two movies that he was involved in because so much of Roger Moore's uh, characterization so much of how we remember Roger Moore as James Bond probably actually can be distilled down to those two movies. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's a, it's just a bit of a shame, um, that the, the, the dialogue didn't match the film's, um, extremely high production values. It has to be said. Mm. And the film's ambitions as well. And I think, <clears throat> you know, and I think you're, you're kind of right that I'm, I'm not entirely saying lift this film and transpose it, but there's a few things that would have been better. And and the other as well is that, I mean, again, Roger is, is a consummate professional. He's not exactly like Connery was towards the end, which was phoning it in really in, in Diamonds of Forever. You know, he's still sort of working as hard as, as he can do. But you could also sort of feel a little bit more of that that kind of, Potential slight jadedness, not that I think Roger would ever, ever kind of call himself jaded with the character, but there's, there is a little bit of, of, you can see that element of more coming to the end of his, his tenure in this film into here. And that's kind of a shame because I think there's almost two ways you could go with this. One of which is 
actually play up and acknowledge that Bond is aging a little bit. You wouldn't detract from the film, but you could actually probably have made it a much more interesting movie in one respect. Or what I found myself wishing for is if you could have had um, more from the Spy Who Loved Me Moonraker era put into this film again, I, and, and then with Chris Wood's script on it, you would have just had an absolute zinger of a movie because that's when, when Roger was just at his peak of his powers. And even though, you know, my views on Moonraker are well known, I cannot deny that Roger Moore in, in, in Moonraker is fantastic. It, it's one of his peak films and that and the spy he loved me. He's just at the peak of, of, how good he is at Bond. Well, Gary, I think you've answered the question yourself there. What what you've actually said is you want you want this film, which is about a about a tech based <coughs> uh, evil psychotic genius, <laughs> and you want it written by Chris Wood, and you want a younger <laughs> Roger Moore in it. I think yes. what what I you've mean... just described there, Gary, is is Moonraker. <laughs> I didn't say I wanted it to go into space. <laughs> I just, I just love the way that Gary, whenever he talks about Moonraker, he just reinforces just how brilliant it is, but then just has to remind himself that he doesn't actually like it, even though he keeps telling us how great it is. I know, I know, it's perfect, it's isn't amazing. it? Just the, the the lengths that you'll go to. It's 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 a sad, it's very twenty twenty to not not back down in this manner. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just like that person on the internet who's who's clearly been shown that he's wrong consistently, but will just then double down all the way through and will come up with some spurious opinion just to back it up. <laughs> the, the, the worst thing, Gary, is I think you're going to come out this the other side and you're. You're, you're going to become like, like a Moonraker zealot. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to become Mr. Moonraker. I'm sure of it. Yeah, I don't... Absolutely. Now, well, now, now that we gaslit you completely, is <laughs> literally about to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> regular listeners, if we have regular listeners, are probably thinking. My God, when he when he re- when Gary realizes to the extent that he's been gaslit by these two, he's going to be living. It's going to job you're on the other side of the world. Really, it? I, I'll be entirely professional. I'll come to a question at the end of the podcast of um, really kind of how we we look back on on the more films um, and, and where we place them. And you never know, you might, might be surprised, but um, I mean, look, I think we can, can all say that this is an enjoyable film with, with loads of potential. Um, and one thing that we, we touched on Terry, which is a bit unfortunate. Um, we've talked about in, in the pre, a lot of the previous Bond films, just actually how strong and good the female leads are in there. And for some reason in this particular film, that all went unfortunately out the window, which is a bit odd, especially given that the first time we actually meet Stacey Sutton, she's got a bit of attitude and then occasionally it will appear again, but vanishes quite quickly. Um, it, it really feels like a character they didn't quite know what to do with. And that's probably reflected in Tanya Roberts' portrayal because of the way that the script was written and the, the characterization is of, of, of Stacey Sutton. Yeah, I mean, you, you, she, you give her a $5 million check and she's, she's not interested. She's, you know, she's, uh, you know, she sticks up for herself. She sticks to her, to her guns. 
you know, give her a quiche, homemade quiche, and she's, you know, <laughs> she's she's just all over you. I mean, I, I don't know how consistent that. I, I mean, she was clearly, I think she was written to be a strong character. She was given, a, 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 I think, an important role in the movie. Uh, she was, she was, uh, she is a qualified, educated, intelligent human being, and uh, on paper, a, a, a strong character. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, you know, she is kind of after a while reduced to, you know, clinging on to the side of uh, a, a, a pothole, uh, a lift shaft, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, and screaming James a lot. And and that, I, I, unfortunately, I, I don't, I don't think, I think they just made some some wrong choices or some, you know, traditional Bond girlish kind of choices. And we shouldn't be surprised because it's a Bond film, but I think we can be quite disappointed that that you know. When you have, you know, a, like Grace Jones there, who is really, really bossing and dominating these, this, the, the film when she's in it, and then you kind of have the the the, the lead, the female lead, as being this week, I think is, I think is a little bit of a shame. Well, it's actually quite a big shame. And the whole thing with the dress, I mean, like she's been wearing that dress since San Francisco, since 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 uh, her house outside San Francisco, she's gone through a fire. And then she's gone through, um, you know, the car chase and the and, and all of that, and she's and it's still pristine <laughs> by the end of the movie. I mean, these are the and she's still wearing her high heels, and you just think this is the kind of stuff like really do do you really need to to present you know your 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 female lead in this manner? Is this really you know appropriate or, or, or necessary frankly even for the for the mid 1980s and and it, it is a, it's one of the film's flaws it's one of its missteps it's a misjudgment yeah graham i mean it's 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 a shame because you can kind of see where they were wanting to head with this character but somehow she she ends up i mean for me i kind of you could almost see touches of what actually ended up becoming pambuvia in in the license to kill there are a few little flashes of of somebody who actually has a bit of spark and attitude and then in other elements it, it's almost as if they've just reprised Frey Ray from the King Kong of the 1930s <laughs> yeah I, I do wonder how many times the script has Stacy screams uh, typed into it it's uh yeah she, she she just lurches from one piece of peril to another uh and and it's completely unnecessary as well uh the uh, the thing is yeah they don't they don't really tap down onto onto her character uh tanya roberts uh biggest role before well she had a, a series of roles uh leading up to them uh, up to this and and most of them had been disastrous uh she was in the she was in the final series of um of charlie's angels when it got cancelled uh she was in uh, a year before she was in a film called uh, sheena which uh, mm. was a, a was a horrendous flop it cost 25 million dollars to make and i think it only made about 5 million at the box office uh, and, and and it was a frankly awful, awful, awful film, um, and it deserved to be a flop. Uh, and and then she comes on into the into this Bond role, and she basically plays as someone from Charlie's Angels. 
in it, really. She, she, she plays that, that sort, sort of character. And it's written in that way as well, or that's how she brings it across. Um, the script does not help her out at all, at all. And it just leads her into into one perilous situation after another. Uh, the the great thing is, at the end, she's the one who actually uh, who actually brings the, the the villain's downfall about about. She's the one who crashes the, the the blimp into the bridge. So she 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 actually does actually do have she actually does have some some pretty pretty strong moments. But yeah, it it is it is all about the 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 help me, James. I am hanging once again. <laughs> I am holding on to something, trying not to fall down. Um, and, and I suppose, luckily enough, she's only in the last sort of about fifty minutes of the film. Uh, she yeah, she has a few bits in the first half of it. But as, as I suppose, in in as a filmmaker, you're, you're probably thinking, I, I want her to be completely opposite of what Grace Jones's character is. But to do that, you've got then you take all strength and, and and agency away from her, and and that's not what the character needs to be. She does need to be someone who's who's a fighter, who is uh, who is going down to 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 shake those uh, those fat cats up at City Hall because that's what she literally is trying to do. And the guy gets shot in the end. Um, but yeah, I, 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 there are fat, 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 uh, like amusing bits there as well, though you've got like the 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 car chase through San Francisco when she's driving the the the, the fire engine. She, it's great, and I think I think uh, as Terry said, this is like two films in one. Uh, a lot of Bond films are, aren't they? And especially these these Wilson and Maybaum ones, they you do tend to get that thing where they where they they they, they have different rates of pace throughout them. Um, uh, but I think that this is very much in the in this sort of mid eighties. This is going to do well on video type uh, films, and you know why they brought Tanya Roberts in. It's not because she's a great actress; it's because she looks really good on screen, and you know people want to have sex with her. I mean, I I watch it. I still want to have sex with her. I mean, she she looks she looks fabulous in this. Um, uh, and and her career has 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 always done that. I mean, like I, I say, she she was she was, she had a, a series of disasters in the eighties as far as casting was concerned. And after this, she only went on to do sort of like straight to video um, rip offs of Basic Instinct uh, until she got a gig on the That Seventy Show, where she was a, a regular on that. But she's still working, and she's actually doing voiceover work now. So it's it's as if like you know, it's not all about the way she looks. She obviously brings something, and uh, and I think people blame the the a lot on her for 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 the overall uh, bad vibes about the film. But I think I I I don't I think she was given a hospital pass of a script. And uh, and yeah, I mean, you 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 hire her and and you expect her to play a certain character. You expect her to play someone from Charlie's Angels, and she does. She does that in, in, to the best of her ability. And if if it's if there's anything any blame to be put, it's, it's on it's on the scriptwriters. Absolutely. I mean, the, the 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 San Francisco fire 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 engine chase is is brilliant, and and uh, but, I mean, but not everyone will like that chase because. Obviously, it is played for laughs. Yeah, and not everyone appreciates that kind of that, that kind of action sequence. But but if you do, 
then it, it's a fine example of, of how that's done. And she is brilliant in that, you know, when she's clutching her bosoms and, you know, and she's really hanging it up and getting into the spirit of that chase, which is supposed to be, you know, a, 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 a high speed comedy chase. You know, and and it, and it and it works extremely well, and she's really really good in there. There's nothing that she doesn't she doesn't do anything wrong in this movie. Um, all she does is 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 she does her best, uh, as Graham says, with her hospital pass of a of a script. I think it's actually quite interesting watching this particular film when you you kind of almost think of the characterizations of um all the kind of stereotypes of bond and we've talked about these quite a lot that a lot of the some of the stereotypes of bond come from um a film like you only live twice with the kind of set design and there's other elements of bonds that start sort of seeping into popular culture and just become almost kind of a shorthand for what it is and there was part of me that was wondering how much stacy sutton's just kind of a lot of kind of O James and, and kind of swooning and peril is almost like the stereotypical expect, expectation of a Bond girl, which actually feels really unfair to the Moore era. When you look at a lot of the Bond girls that have come before, you've got, um, you know, Barbara Back in there, you've got Cal Bouquet, who, who was fantastic in um, For Your Eyes Only. Maud Adams is, is, a, is a perfectly strong Bond girl, more than capable of handling herself. And it's almost like you, you've kind of skipped the last few movies and gone back to Brett Eklund in Man with the Golden Gun or, or, or kind of Jane Seymour in um, Live and Let Die, who, who perhaps weren't that strong. And it's almost like the, the characterization of if you were going to write a cliched, stereotypical Bond girl, it would probably end up somewhere like Stacey Sutton, which is a, is a real shame given the rest of the film and also the Bond girls who have preceded her and then followed her as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree. I, I think, wouldn't it have been great if, if, if instead of Fiona Fullerton as the Russian's agent, they brought back uh, Barbara <laughs> back as, as triple X. Wouldn't Wouldn't that, that have been, been a nice oh, little, little man, tie. Yeah. Oh, that would have been awesome. That would have been a great touch. Yeah. But yeah. uh, and and things like that would which would happen nowadays because they're all about the arc nowadays and, and continuing yes. characters. But um, I suppose then it was just an excuse to get Fiona Fullerton in as as a spy as as a different kind of of, of female actress. There, uh, yeah. Um, but that scene is dynamite, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean that the yeah in the relaxation spa that yeah. that, that that jacuzzi is absolutely dynamite, and it comes with 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 the great with with the punchline, doesn't it? As soon as they get in the car with 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 Gogol and put the put the tape on, and it's, that that is that's a great setup. All all of that that lovely little arc there from the moment that you that 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 they that they that you see them recording the conversation all the way through there. That's that is a really lovely piece in the middle of the film, and it, and it, and it's really good bond as well. That's that, that that's one of the highlights of the film, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, it is. A, it's a wonderful thing. I do. I, it's, I think it is worth perhaps at this point. This is a good opportunity to pay homage to the director John Glenn because there are some there's some nice moments in this movie. That, that I mean the just the just the little things where he because he I, I watched an interview with him where he, he tries to particularly with the action sequences he tries to involve the audience or let the audience feel as though they are somehow involved in 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 the action sequence which i think i i, I can understand that but even little things like when stacy gets fired we find out that she gets fired from the point of view of one of the one of the secretaries or the office workers who's just 
you know, sort of like nosily sort of like putting her head around the door before shutting it just to overhear what, what, what's going on. And just that, just that slight removal, making the audience member feel as though they're observing rather than just necessarily being presented with, which I think is a really nice touch. The, the, the drunk in, the, in, in San Francisco outside City Hall, you know, uh, during the during the when Bond and Scalia escaped from the burning building. I mean, that that's that's a, a nice touch. And I think this, that that's that's very much a John Glenn thing. I think I mean, he is rightly revered for his directing of action sequences and rightly so, because I mean, that's that's his background. And the action sequences in this movie are, are, are absolutely superb. I do hope we, we do spend a few minutes reflecting on those. But I also like those little personal touches that he makes there, and just to just to just to add a little extra layer of engagement for the audience and make them feel a little bit a little bit more in, in close. And even the little cattle prod with the cat running down the stairs is a is is just a nice little touch, just to you know just to just to make certain that the audience is still you know engaged with this movie. There's um oh, well, let let's then touch on on the action sequences um briefly because I, I Terry I, I would agree with you I I really enjoyed the action elements in this you can criticize this film for a lot but what you can't criticize it for is when they have an action moment in there it grips you it's really well done and and everything from whether it's the horse chase um uh, in um, Zorin's stud farm, or even the fight in Stacey Sutton's house as well. They're, they're all just really well done. And if you want an action movie, and if you're not too fussed about the script, I would say, Terry, this is a perfect film for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the horse chase, because interestingly, that is something that I, I, I noticed upon my most recent rewatches of this just how good that chase is. Mm. And that kind of, you kind of get caught up with maybe the slightly bigger ones. I mean, I think the one, the big action sequence that you think of with a view to Achilles, the ski chase, it's the pre-credit sequence. Cause you know, it's like, you know, we, cause back then we hadn't really heard of snowboarding. And I mean, and so, you know, that was, that was quite, a, that, that was quite a, 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 a big moment. Cause it was like, wow, what is he doing? I'd never seen snowboarding before a view to a kill. I just hadn't. Yeah, same here, yeah. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. What is he doing? And and but not just that snowboarding, but actually the whole choreography of that, the stunts in that ski chase are truly spectacular. It is the best ski chase in the Bond franchise, and, and I will fight <clears throat> for that. It really, really is. I mean, the Spy, the Spy Lovely one is really good, and and the, and the Royal Magic Secret Service one is also. They're all brilliant, but but you know, if you're looking at just like the sheer audacity, the stunt work, it's just fantastic. Um, but I think you can ignore actually that horse sequence, which must have been incredibly difficult to do, you know. And and it was just it's just such there's so much tension and menace going on there when you've got his sort of like stable boys all around him, and you know, and, and Bond is genuinely surrounded by all this hostility and all this sort of like you know menace towards him, and then he, and then you know, and beautifully orchestrated. I, I love all of those things. I, I won't talk about all of them, each and all of them, but uh, because I want Graham will, will have his views as well, I'm sure. But, but I mean, and it's just worth reiterating that I, I think the, the criticism that I've read also is that is that the action sequences are they're, they're too focused on humour, and that there are too many sight gags, and that this somehow diminishes the the sequences. And I don't I understand that opinion completely. And anybody who has that opinion, it, it, it's fine. I don't agree. Personally, I think that they are that they work so well because I just think that they're well done pieces. They're 
intended to be comedic and they work extremely well as such. Um, they, and, and work well tonally because the movie is very light. Yeah, I mean, Graham, when we talk about the action sequences, you, you kind of feel, or, or I, I kind of get a feeling with, with John Glenn that he's been honing his craft, obviously, as, as kind of, he's been part of the Bond franchise for a long time. He's got his directorial um, opportunity when it comes to For Your Eyes Only, which was a, a bit of a an, an oddity, but, you know, there, there's some great sequences in that as well. You kind of feel that he's he's honing his action chops and his action um you know they really kind of land in here and almost they build up to to what was his last one which was a license to kill which is a fantastic action film like that has got action sequences uh, all the way through which are fantastic and you can almost see that evolution of, of you know how glenn treats the action in bond throughout these films from from sort of mid more into dalton yeah, I think it's uh, as much as anything, it's the scriptwriters getting used to him as much as him getting used to the scriptwriters as well. Uh, he does grow in there. These are his first. These are his his first directorial films. Full stop, aren't they? This is where he becomes a director, and you can see he's got. He gets a lot more confident in it. Even by Octopus, he's a lot more confident in 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 it. Um, I think that that the that Terry's right. These they are there are action scenes in this that are not played for laughs at all that that horse racing scene is mm. there, there is no comedic value in that at all there is no. apart from the fact that that you know the 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 jumps chain chain shape <laughs> which which is and people are falling off horses but they, that's that's, that's <laughs> that can be funny i guess um but it, it is yes. There, I, I think when you're looking at, at things like like the car chase that are played for laughs but yeah, I mean, it, there is the opportunity to play it for laughs. You got a car chase in, in San Francisco. You're either going to do it like Bullet, uh, or or you're going to bring something else to the party. And in the end, you've got, you got bring a fire truck. You bring a fire truck. <laughs> you bring a fire truck, and you basically you make it a bit more Blues Brothers, don't you? And it's and that's yeah. what that's what it is. And and I don't yeah. hear anyone complaining about the car chases in Blues Brothers. <laughs> so and I, I don't see any problem as soon as they say that 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 that, that is not locked down as <laughs> yeah, you know oh this this is gonna be fun <laughs> this, this is gonna be really fun and it is and it is and and uh, you know you can sit there being po-faced and go, look at that that's ridiculous but yes no have some fun for god's sake uh and all right the the, the action scene at the end with with the airship yeah that that does look that that doesn't really sell it very well um uh, uh, HD is not its friend. It's uh, yeah, it, 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 but then again, the last played there work as well. I think uh, the, the, the 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 comedic the, the the old guy putting his monocle back in to go and to go and fetch some dynamite adds. It, it, it all gets a bit wily coyote, but. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind. You know, you got you got Zorin swinging axe around and like Stacy hitting people over the head with fire extinguishers. This is fun. I don't care. I lo I love it. Yeah. I love that scene. It, it's not about fun. And I mean, I know a lot of people have got have got feelings about the Paris uh, uh, chase as well. Uh, <laughs> My and, God. And, 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 and <laughs> it was really funny because last night I watched it, and my wife rarely watches James Bond movies. Um, and uh, but she she just happened to be sitting next to me during that sequence, and the the, the French taxi driver, 
And she said, that is brilliant. That, that is just brilliant. That whole, the, the, the indolent, you know, you know, caustic French tractor swilling his wine while sat in his car, you know, re- not refusing to take a fare. I mean, and then, and then the, 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 I mean, it's just the perfect pastiche of, of the indolent Frenchman that, that endures so strongly in the UK. And it's absolutely hilarious. And I just thought it was funny that she just observed that that few minutes and went, that is really, really good. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and the end of that, that scene where you see the, the, the two chefs with the meat cleavers. <laughs> I know, that's just great. It's just absolutely, it's just so stereotypical. I mean, it's, it's lovely, gentle, uh, gentle teasing of, of our beloved friends across the channel. Um, and and, and it, it, I think it really works well. I also, I, I must confess, I did sit down and think to myself, I wonder whether or not it's worth, you know, uh, hunting down to see if there are any really old sort of like forgotten French detective books uh, in which, you know, the lead character is, is, is aubergine, <laughs> whether or not maybe, you know, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if we, as a spin-off, to have a kind of like the adventures of aubergine? Because I think he would be a... He would be a superb uh, a, a detective. Uh, I, I, you know, I I can completely understand why those scenes, particularly in Paris, why why that scene jars with a lot of Bond fans. I totally get why it would, um, and, and I've got no argument to say why you should like it. You either do or you don't. I mean, I personally, I think I thought it was brilliant and, and well done. Yeah, it's there's so much fun in there, and, and actually a lot of the fun that you look in, in um, sort of action films, like, I mean, just to kind of go on to a, a mild tangent before we come back, like one of my favourite action franchises is Die Hard, and that is a film, that's a film franchise that has humour throughout. It, it, it's, you know, great action, almost action constantly, but played for laughs, and you don't hear anybody complaining too much about that until you get to the latter Die Hards, of which the the less said about them, the better. But you know, those are those are, uh, are films that are, uh, have humour and laughs throughout. And you know, Bond is is not um, a serious franchise necessarily as much as as people would like it. Like you know, one of the best things about Spectre is the scene where Daniel Craig lands on the sofa at the start, and that's just. You know, and the Craig era is, is a little bit more kind of po-faced, but it's not without its humour. And I remember we were watching this this film as together at cinema, and I think we all just gave out a very hearty chuckle <laughs> when that little sight gag went in. And it's like, you could have just ignored that and the film would have been absolutely fine. But it just gives it that little bit of extra, which you know that that's a classic Bond piece of humour that just works perfectly well. Anyway, I feel that on my tangent, I should come back. And Graham, just one thing that I think before we kind of wrap up and wrap up the more era, it's kind of fair to say as well, this this very much was the end of an era as well with a lot of Bonds because, you know, Lois Maxwell, for example, last film, there, there's so much that is is kind of feels like Bond is, is moving on, even though at the time, like, there's probably a sense that this would have been Moore's last film, but... There's a lot of kind of Bond nostalgic value in this just by looking at actually this is this is very much a cutoff point. And and from here, 
you've kind of this is where the Moore era ends and this is where a lot of the classic Bond era ends and this is where we then move into a very different take and a very different style of Bond um, when Dalton arrives on the scene. Yeah, I I guess every time that they change the Bond they do have to turn a corner uh, and you get you definitely get the feeling that 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 a corner is approaching on this one the this isn't this isn't a springboard into into a different kind of bond this this is this is a bookend this and it, it's not it's not the end of bond but it, it certainly is somewhere that 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 you can go in a different direction and and it takes a while for them to do it because all right you get the living daylights out next you've got you've got uh Dalton in their new bond but still pretty much in a in a in a in a in a comfortable environment and then obviously with license to kill they are more reflective of the big big money blockbuster action blockbusters that are out and and they and they try and and get a bit more of a sense of that in there uh and then you get the break and then obviously you're in into modern bond essentially with with Brosnan and then going up to Craig uh, I, and yeah, I I think that we we're looking at, at, at obviously this is Roger's last film, and and I don't think it is a bad way to 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 bow out. If you if you look at any of those last films that he he did, I I think you could have all you, you could have said anything from from Moonraker onwards. That would have probably been best to be his last film, uh, and. and Obviously, by the time you get to this one, you said this this really does need to be your last film, Roger. <laughs> it really, really does. Um, but as Terry said, said earlier, it, it's not like it's not like 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 Connery when 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 he was getting near the end, I mean, when he was like basically, you know, just just go collecting his check and then, uh, hey, hey, I'm I'm James Bond. That that was that was the the way he was he was treating it. Roger just goes through and he is Bond. And you can say he has, he's not as confident in the role as, as he has been in the past. Maybe that script, maybe that is this whole thing about him thinking that he's too old for it. But you know, if they're willing to pay him for, for doing it, then who's he to complain? I, I, yeah, it would have been great to see perhaps if, if Brosnan had come in earlier, if, if Dalton had come in earlier, things would have been been different would they have been better i don't know i, I don't know if, if that film would have been better had dalton taken it or if if brosnan had, ta- had ta- taken it they would have been younger men there would have been a different dynamic between bond and and stacy uh but then how would they have stood up against against walken and grace jones i i i think that that this this film, it's very different, I think, to to the other films. Despite what you say, Gary, about trying to always bring it back to say, yeah, this film is like it's 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 like a great, it's like a, another Moonraker, isn't it? It's that good. I think we we, we can see that the, the, this film is a different one. It it's not everyone's cup of tea. Mm. Fine, there are plenty of other Bond films that will be. Yeah, it's it's good. Um, and, and so many of the Roger era, if you kind of take it on its on its own merits, and and I, just to sort of come back to what we said on, on Moonraker Terry, when providing you accept what you're going to get with this film, and actually, it unlike some of the other films or the, the two films that followed Moonraker, 
you kind of get the sense that for all the unevenness of, of potentially the scripting and maybe some of the casting a little bit uh, and the dialogue especially, this is a film that, that knows what it wants to be. It doesn't actually deviate from it. And that's we, we know that that's a Bond film strength. When it knows what it's trying to be and sticks to it, even if it's, you know, it's as absurd as Moonraker, providing it doesn't try and break through that, you've always got a perfectly serviceable Bond. You've got a perfectly good Bond that is enjoyable and entertaining to watch. And for all the criticisms, it's not like you're going to turn around and go, I didn't really enjoy watching that one. No, certainly not. And yeah, I know you're quite right. I mean, it sets, it, it makes it, uh, it, it establishes its tone uh, in the in the pre-credit sequence, and it doesn't really deviate massively from that um, uh, all the way through. This is going to be uh, a, a, a humorous, uh, uh, you know, spectacular um, James Bond adventure in the tradition of Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, I would say, you know, uh, uh, not quite of the cosmic levels. I mean, not necessarily sort of, you know, global destruction and stuff like that. But 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 in terms of the, of the, of the scale and the ambition of its movies, I mean, it, it does uh, pay a little bit of homage. I think it understands, you know, like, for example, you know, the the, the flooding sequences in the in in the, the mine shafts. Um, you know, I'll always remind me of 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 Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from a few years earlier, and uh, I think it borrows a little bit a little bit from there. I think it's worth that, that pointing that out. But but unlike Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, it, it, it there's it's the dialogue isn't isn't sharp enough, and I don't think the characterisation is necessarily sharp enough. And also, it's a borrow. I mean, it's a borrowed plot. I mean, it's a borrowed <laughs> plot from Goldfinger. It's not the first one to do that. But really, you know, you're not here for the plot. I mean, if you really, it doesn't, I mean, it's Roger, it was Roger Ebert who, who pointed out that Silicon Valley don't produce microchips. They buy them. Um, and so actually Zorin was destroying his customer base and not his competition. Um, <laughs> and, and, I mean, you, you don't want to examine the, the, the setup for this movie very closely at all. And, and ultimately, objectively, that's why it isn't that good. I mean, you know, because it is, a, it's, 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 a, it's an out-of-the-box James Bond plot, and, it, and that has to be borne in mind. And we and, and as we've we spent most of this podcast celebrating it because there's much to celebrate. But if you are a non-James Bond fan sitting down watching this movie, you're going to think this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. What exactly am I watching here? And that is true of so many James Bond films. Yeah. And we just have to accept that. But in the context of a James Bond movie, you know there is so much to love. But if you are a fan of the, you know, shall we say? Bond from say if you grew up with Pierce Brosnan and these days if you grew up with Daniel Craig this movie is going to be you know, like from the before time and you're perfectly entitled to not like it yeah you'd just be wrong if you you had that carried that opinion over to the spy yeah. who loved me <laughs> yeah apart from the spy who loved me yeah but I mean that's an acknowledged classic I mean that is I mean that that that, that there's very little wrong with that film as a as, as a film so as an action film um, but yeah, I mean, you could still, you know, find it a little bit too dated, a bit too seventies. There's any other reasons why you don't want to watch these movies. But just to pick up on what Graham was saying, because it's it's Roger's final movie, we can contextualise it as a as a turning of the corner for the franchise, as a chain, as a saying goodbye to a certain type of Bond movie that they just don't make anymore. Um, and 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 it's helpful that Roger goes at this point. Because I suspect that even if Roger had stayed for another one, which is obviously, you know, it would have been cracking 60 by that point, 
you know, I mean, they, I think if they would have probably taken it in a very different creative direction, but fortunately Tim Dalton comes along and, and, and really takes ownership of that says from the outset, he wants to be a more of a Fleming style James Bond. And they take that cue from there, not always successfully, but they do take that from there. And that's kind of where Bond really heads to from there. So it is definitely the end of a Bond era. Um, and, 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 uh, and, I suppose it's a little bit disappointing that it could have it could have been an objectively better movie. But I mean, as I said, for all the reasons that I've said, well, I still love it. This movie for sentiment, if nothing else. So I think that kind of feels like an appropriate point to to look at back on more as a whole. And and we've been doing this podcast for you know a good few episodes now of of more and going through from through all, pretty much all all the more era. And I think you know. We've really enjoyed it. Obviously, Moore is your Bond. He was the one that you grew up with. Um, he's not necessarily the Bond that I, I kind of initially came into. Um, and we've already talked about my father issues, that, that uh, he was not a particularly big fan of Roger Moore at all. But, you know, I, I found it quite interesting that the more I've watched the Moore era, I think the only film that I've come away with, Kai, that was a real clunker was a man with the golden gun, which is, is really not a very good film much as I wanted to try and like it. And, you know, from my, my memories of kind of first watching it and enjoying it to, to now have, have changed greatly. Whereas say a view to a kill where I have fond memories of it, I will still go away with fond memories of it because it is a, it is a, a lot of fun film, but Graham, how looking back on, on all the more films and looking at them probably in more depth than anybody ever intended to look at all, all the more era films, um, has, have you kind of reassessed your thoughts or opinions or, or kind of feelings towards this, this kind of era or has it kind of even crystallized kind of, you know, what you already felt towards the more era Bond films and, and kind of reinforced your thoughts on them? I, I've I've always loved the more films, and I I think this this revisit of them has allowed me to 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 reconcile some of the the things that I I loved about them that I thought well actually this these films aren't, aren't going to look very good for, for for modern viewers and and how do I really how do I really uh, come across this, this this film now and say yeah this is really great i love it i the every, what anyone says about this is wrong i love this film because x y and z but actually revisiting them has allowed me to look at them objectively and say actually no this is good and actually there there are reasons why this this film is good that i've i haven't really appreciated but i've i've always been of someone who actually uh, loves Roger's acting style, and I've always been sort of someone who who thinks that yes, he's a bit cardboard, and and yes, he hams it up. But actually revisiting it and and looking at the whole of of the franchise as I have done recently, you see his craft is there, and he does work, and he loves the, this role, and he always puts in a hundred percent foot with it and that's that's the beauty of of the roger moore films is that you don't get sold short even even man with the golden gun stinker as it is it's not as much as a stinker as the other guys who had more than three films it's not diamonds are forever bad 
It's not even no. thunder. It's not. It's not even thunderball bad, in my opinion. And a lot of people would, would would disagree with that. It's certainly not not die another day bad. It's not quantum of solace bad. And so you you've you've got you've got a lot more films there. If you have, if you if for for people who who are setting out all the film all the films in in some order, if if they go on some fool errand of try try trying to rate them all one to twenty four. I, I I would have issue of of them putting a, a Roger film, even Man with the Golden Gun, in the bottom three, uh, personally, because there are there are worse films in the fran- fran- in the fran- franchise. And yes, all right, they may not be your favourite films. They may not, you may not have a Roger film in your top three. I, that's all right. That's everyone's allowed to have that opinion. But really, uh, no, no, none of them belong in the bottom three, and I'll have issue with that. Terry, same same to you. How do you feel about um, the Moore era now, having gone back and look at them in detail? When I was sort of in my twenties and thirties, I kind of had a fairly low opinion of quite a few of the of them because of, of them because I was, you know, I, I was like, oh, I want I want them to be more down to earth. I want them to be a bit more like Fleming, and 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 I I, I I'm happy to say that that I, I went through and I've come through the other end of that, and that then allowed me to, to, to revisit these Roger Moore films that I loved so much as a boy uh, and, and enjoy them for what they are as a man. And, I, and that journey for me actually started a couple of years ago when I went to the Prince Charles to watch The Spy Who Loved Me at the pictures at the cinema for the first time since it had come out. And I was really, really surprised at just what a high quality, high build quality movie this was. And just how balanced the plot was, you know, how you know, we talked about it about how, But I mean, just looking at that, saying this is a really, really good movie. And although uh, it, it's, it may well be that the it's a bit outlandish, it's a bit over the top. Um, it, it's still an authentic, classic, really well made James Bond film. And then it all fell into place from there. And, and, and I went through a similar. I mean, I've always loved Moonraker, even when I thought it was a terrible film. I loved it. But now I've come through and realised that it's actually one of his best, and I mean that in all sincerity. Um, that you know, I, I, and, I, and you can looking at it and saying why, you know, look, you justify your feelings towards this film. Why is this film actually a really well-made movie for what it's trying to achieve? And I think that that, that this process that we've gone through here has also helped me crystallise those a lot more because I've been compelled to to articulate them um, and and the, and celebrate the 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 moments uh, that I think are really really good, and then reflect on the moments that are poor. And and, and my experience is, is that there's way more good than bad. Certainly, you know, in in James Bond, and the only genuine stinker, in my opinion, is is Man with the Golden Gun. Um, and even that has some redeeming qualities in it. I mean, it's it's, it's still got play. I mean, Roger Moore's own performance, and of course Christopher Lee. So. I mean, again, I don't know whether or not you're going to ask us to rank uh, rank them, but I mean, I, I, I've, I've, I would never rank the James Bond movies one to twenty four because they, they you know, over a half century gap, you know, the change in sensibilities, in production values, in budgets, in that. I mean, it's just an impossible task, uh, and 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 bluntly a foolhardy one as well. Um, but but certainly, I think you know you you. Those Roger Moore films are, are are a lot better, I think, than people maybe imagine they are. But you probably do have to shift your mindset ever so slightly in order to appreciate them. And like Graham, there is there is not not even Man with the Golden Gun is in the, is in the bottom three. 
of of bad of of the James Bond films either. I mean, it, it, they're, they're all of a certain build quality that that, that precludes them from that. <clears throat> would you like to know my Roger journey that I've gone on? Yes, I would. Yes, yes, we we're would. very interested in hearing this because we 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 just want to know That's how we're here for. our gaslighting has been. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can probably say it's been a, a degree of success, and I think, like you, Terry, I've gone through and I had some kind of very preconceived opinions of of more um and and probably the films that i'd liked the most even before we came into this were the ones that i i still really like like view to a kill is very much sentiment as well and and kind of it caught me at the right time but i never remember every time i've watched it i've never thought i've i've watched a bad movie or i've got got it wrong i've always enjoyed octopussy i still think live and let die for all its problems is is a cracking fantastic film it's it's still one of me one of the best in the franchise and obviously spy who loved me you so you've got like four decent films but then i think the thing that's been most interesting to me is i've i've revisited my opinion of of the lesser films uh, in my mind and that includes i know we've talked a lot about your love for moonraker and i i'd never really given it much time but watching them back to back and watching the evolution of moore and the evolution of bond i really appreciate moonraker a lot more now i wouldn't ever say that it will be one of my favorites probably because it's just that final third just just loses it for me and it's a shame because up to that point it's it's a very enjoyable film it just for me goes a bit awry in the final third which i don't um and and that's just simply you know personal preferences rather than sort of saying objectively i think it is a bad film but then i've also reassessed for your eyes only which i'd always had in my mind and i'd watched a few times and i'd never really kind of given it much time of day and always kind of went i think this is a bit of a clunker it's not. It's not a great film, but it's a perfectly watchable one that's that's quite enjoyable. And more as a whole, I've come to appreciate what he brings to Bond and why he works so well and why he's so well loved. Because he just he brings all of himself to the role. And as, as Graham said, he never gives anything less than 100 percent. And I think you can really feel that in there. And he knows who he is what his limitations are, and he works hard with his co-stars, which I think is more than sometimes can be said for for some of the other Bonds in there. You know, you can, can generally tell when a Bond isn't too fond of, of who they're up against on the screen or, or when they don't particularly want to sort of give it all in there. Um, I The only thing that I would take issue with, with what's just been sort of said in summaries between there is, um, from Graham's perspective, I think Quantum of Solace is a better film than The Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> mm, I, I, yeah, I have to say that I, went, I was surprised by uh, Sibley's opinion of Quantum of Solace. I don't remember that film being that bad. Uh, it certainly isn't a, isn't a classic, but I don't remember it being that bad. I'm not proposing that we do a, do we do a commentary of it to see whether or not it's a hidden gem because I mean I don't think anyone will that's we don't, let's just not go down that road again but I think yeah that's a, that's a, that's a that's a blistering take you got there Sibley. Uh, I have I have rewatched it recently and and right. and it went it went down in my estimation after watching it because I I've I've been a defender of Quantum of Solace in the past but I've I've thought this actually isn't very good 
and mm. and when you see it when you see it in the in the in, in, in succession with other films you can see that there is a problem with it but there is that but yes but we can we can return to that we can we can do a review of it at some point in the future maybe not next one but I, uh, I think your opinion also is slightly uh, uh, you know uh, uh, informed by your love of Christopher Lee's Scaramanga in Melody because <laughs> I know that for yes. you he's your yeah, I mean, you yeah. went out to bat for him during our World Cup of, of, did, of Bond villains. And so this is obviously going to inform your, your opinion of the movie in general. So, yeah, I get that. I mean, I mean certainly Dominic Green uh, um, is, is, is not Scaramanga. That much is absolutely certain. It's interesting. I mean, For Your Eyes Only is a film of all of the movies historically. For Your Eyes Only is the film I've had the, the biggest problem with. Uh, I, I mean, BB being one of the big problems. And also, as, as I've mentioned before, the soundtrack. Um, but I mean, it, it, that I've, I think that those moments, I think Topol, Colombo, is one of the best uh, Bond allies in the franchise. And, and I love those. There's, he, he, there's so little of him in that movie, which I think is a real shame. Uh, and, and, but I think that like, that scene between Bond and Colombo in, on, his, on his yacht you know, when they're introducing to each other. I think that's one of my favourite scenes in all of the James Bond, uh, in all of the Roger Moore films. So it's just a lovely moment between two cracking actors, you know, and it's just such a, it's just such a sweet, it's very masculine in fairness, but I mean, it is a, it's a really, really nice, really, really nice scene. Um, and, and I'm glad to have kind of rehabilitated my feelings towards For Your Eyes Only as well. So it's been a really worthwhile experience doing this, you know, uh, this this journey through the through the through the Bond films on our podcast series, and I, I, I am wondering who will do next or what will do next. Yeah, it will be. A, it, it feels like this is. A, as I say, we bookended um, more, and I think we've come away with a, a lot of fondness. And opinions all round have changed, and I'd probably say have have changed for the better in every single view in there. So, I mean, what I really hope is that anybody who's listened to these and perhaps hasn't watched some of the more films in a while or, or has gone into it with some of the same opinions maybe that we've had in in some of the films, whether that, that's individually or collectively, and they go back and revisit them because there is a lot to like in there and there is a, an awful lot to enjoy. And, um, yeah, wherever we go next with the, the next set of odd job pod um, focuses, I think we'll we'll obviously bring our same eye to it. But I think, you know, for me, I'm looking back going, I have thoroughly enjoyed um, an entire set of podcasts just focusing on Roger and um, and changing our opinions in there. So, I mean, I think that feels a good way to bring to an end. I've even got through the point of this whole podcast without even lob- lobbing in, which I will do now, that it probably has one of the best songs in the entire franchise in there as well. Um, but that's probably a discussion for another day as well, other than the fact that it's a fantastic song and a decent soundtrack as well. Um, but gentlemen, um, I think we, we've come to an end. We will obviously decide where we go next with Bond, but um, any final words or thoughts from you on, on Roger before we wrap up? Uh, I've I've got one thing, and it, it's something that really didn't fit into the uh, to, to the chat about the about the film, but it it was something that I I realised when I was watching a View to a Kill this this time round, was why the cat was in it, what the purpose of the cat was, 
And the only reason for them to have the cat in there was so that they could get a camera to look at Bond and Stacy in the shower. Because <laughs> if you have the cat, you need the cat flap. You need a stupidly large cat flap that a person can get through. <laughs> and then you get that cat. And then because what you do then is then you get your little robot-y remote control thing with the camera on it can go through the cat flap. And you've already seen the remote control robot-y thing in, in M's office right at the beginning of the film. <laughs> yeah, you know that's coming back, don't you? Yeah. When you see that, you say, oh, God, where, it where, is, the where most, is this coming back? It's the most intricate, <laughs> convoluted way of getting a camera into the shower. <laughs> I think, actually, do you know, we should just actually reflect on that scene. because well, The cat also, cat is a very good, uh, does a good job in reflecting the passage of time because it goes out for a shit. <laughs> Uh, and then comes back after its shit uh, 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 later to denote that time has passed. You know, in in the in the in the kitchen scene, um, but also it's it's because it's a beautiful, it's a wonderful way for for Roger to go out in the shower with a thirty year old woman. <laughs> it's, I mean, it is it is it's just it is the best way to, to end. I mean, that's just the best way to go. Full stop. Uh, and it's the best way, but uh, but. And I just love that as well because they say, oh, sadly, he's missing. We don't know. And you've got money, penny crying. And then you cut to the cat flap and the, and the, the, the cat's bowl, which of just, of course, says pussy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, of course, and so it's, it's a nice sort of like, you know, full of innuendo, uh, sort of like uh, a nice sex scene at the end. And it's not quite the same as the usual. It's a traditional James Bond sort of like end yeah. of end of film sex scene where he's kind of caught in flagrante by the boss and it, it's it's a it's a classic confession style moment isn't it it's a proper it's rich it's british sitcom and it, and, it, and it's beautifully done as well and and, and roger's little all at the end is is just a, a wonderful way to sign off from the franchise and that and that is a that is a that is a really really good scene or it's absolutely terrible depending on your point of view <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is this podcast has gone into places we never quite expected it to go into there so really? thank you for, for bringing that up I was, I was thinking some more profound thoughts but no we'll we'll happily set up a cat flap sex voyeurism um as a way to wrap this up um, it just remains for me to say thank you very much to graham and to terry um, a pleasure as ever and um the odd job pod We'll be back. We will. Uh, we have finished more, but we will be into other areas. Um, if you haven't listened to the other more podcasts, please do give us a listen, um, and please do uh, subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Um, like us on Facebook and uh, follow us on Twitter. Odd Job Pod. We're generally all around the place. And if you want to want to rank us, and uh, if, if you know if you want to go one star and go Sibley's blistering hot take on Quantum of Solace has completely put me off ever listening to you again because I'm a man on the internet and I'm right, then you know you're entirely within your rights to do that as well. But it just remains for me to say goodbye. And oh, James, goodbye. Goodbye. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh dear. that was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was that was brilliant. That was brilliant. It's always better with the ones that we know with the ones that we really love. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, they're always the best ones, aren't they? That we they, do because yeah. we, yes. we just had so many feelings about this movie. It's such a such an emotional film. I, I don't think we left anything, did we? There, <laughs> uh, no, 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 we left nothing on the on the pitch. Nothing, nothing has been spared. <laughs> it was that was just superb. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Well, I think last time we spoke, we there was talk about doing a commentary. Um, I don't know how yeah. you guys uh, feel about that. Whether or not you remember us talking about that, or um, or indeed whether you have any particular opinions on it. Uh, my my opinions on it have cooled ever so slightly. Um, but uh, I mean, that might be a quite nice um, sort of intermission before perhaps we we move into another podcast arc. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your what's your views? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy to give it a go. Definitely. Um, in terms of the next art, I mean, do you think we should just maybe do what we've just done, only with another actor, or do you think that we should maybe go more, you know, to, to a different, take a different approach, maybe more themes or another World Cup? Or I know I said we would never ever do another World Cup, <laughs> but I mean another World Cup. Um, <laughs> Yeah, leave it another um, four years, maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> what are you? What are you feeling?